Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Leslie Palmer. And I'm Teresa Watson. We're so happy you've joined us tonight. In our top story, our guest Ann Reed from Operation Rescue will tell us about the five tragic emergencies at a publicly funded facility in New Mexico. Our guest, Dr. Paul Saba, will discuss whether assisted suicide is ever the right answer to escape suffering and harm. Leslie will share all the abortion news that happened this week in Abortion in the News, including a new law in Maine that eliminates all protections for unborn babies. Teresa has all of the updates on former President Trump, including the grand jury probes and his position in the polls. Is he dropping in popularity? At the end of our show, you will meet Julia, a strong mom who chose life when she was just 14 years old. Be sure to stay with us. So far this year, Operation Rescue's friends at Abortion Free New Mexico have documented five medical emergencies at the UNM Center for Reproductive Health, the University of New Mexico's freestanding abortion business in Albuquerque. We have with us tonight our friend Ann Reed, the Senior Policy Advisor for Operation Rescue, to discuss what's really happening at this place that calls itself a health facility. Welcome to the show, Ann. Thank you so much, both of you, Leslie and Teresa. It's always good to have you here with us. So before we get into the actual emergencies, tell us about this facility and what's really going on in relation to its, gov- its commitments to research. Right. So this is the University of New Mexico, and uh, it has a long history of pushing abortionists out into the American society. It has a residency program and a two-year fellowship that's specifically dedicated to uh, teaching clinicians how to perform abortions and specifically late-term abortions. Now, this is a facility that receives tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars every year from the New Mexico taxpayers. So whether these taxpayers in New Mexico uh, want to be supporting abortion, uh, late-term abortion or not, they are uh, through their taxpayer funds. Wow. Uh, And can you give us a summary of the five emergencies? Sure. Uh, So Two of these were in January, two of them were in February, and one was in March. And again, as I've said before on your program, that we find out about these because of pro-lifers who are on the sidewalk at these clinics, uh, reaching out to the women, uh, the mothers and the fathers, uh, and giving them hopeful alternatives to killing their babies. So we know about all five of these uh, because of that. Uh, One of them was the information came from someone who had just been in the clinic and informed them that the abortions were being rescheduled that day uh, because of uh, some complications that had taken place with a patient. Uh, That was the least information among all five of them. Uh, The other four, uh, we have photographs and even video of the patients being wheeled out on gurneys and being loaded onto the ambulances uh, to uh, be transported to emergency rooms. Now, unfortunately, uh, we always request the um, 911 records, but unfortunately, uh, we have, after a lot of work, a lot of effort, we have been unable to secure the 911 records um, 
for all of these. This is a very tight-knit community in Albuquerque. Um, you have the University of New Mexico. Again, as I've already explained, you have these taxpayer funds that are going toward these programs. You have the University of New Mexico Hospital. And so it's a very tight-knit uh, abortion-supportive community. And so more than likely for that reason, there's a lot of political power there. We were unable to secure uh, those records that would obviously give us more detail about uh, these emergencies. So we are very much reliant on uh, the sidewalk counselors uh, who are there on the scene capturing the evidence of these emergencies. Otherwise, uh, we would not know anything about them at all. So, and it appears that unsuspecting women are traveling from other states because they think this is a late-term abortion facility and it's safe. What, what, what do you think about that? Right. Um, you know, when I was, was younger and uh, was not well-informed, I would have thought the same thing. Why not? Uh, it is a university program. Uh, and so, you know, women and men who are unsuspecting uh, are going to believe that this is a a medical facility where they are going to receive care, um, health care, which is the way that the media uh, portrays abortion as legitimate health care. Uh, so, you know, they're going to this facility, not really knowing and understanding that they are being used as guinea pigs, that this is a, a residency program utilizing this abortion clinic uh, to practice on patients, uh, to learn how to perform abortions, uh, many of them late-term abortions. Wow. Well, and can you tell our viewers um, how we can help Oper Operation Rescue and what can we do across the country to help expose other killing centers that are having uh, medical emergencies as well? Well, right. It's, it's actually twofold. Uh, as I explained, you know, we find out about these because of the pro-lifers who are there on the sidewalk. So uh, if uh, individuals, uh, pro-life individuals and groups uh, go to the sidewalk, uh, they're able to reach out to these women and provide them with alternatives, um, whether it be adoption uh, mechanisms, uh, a provision that allow them to keep their babies uh, and not kill their babies. And in that process, uh, they're able to uh, alert us uh, when they see a when they see ambulances uh, ambulances arrive on the scene. Uh, so we have all of that information uh, actually on these five emergencies as well on our website, uh, operationrescue.org. You can read this full article and see these photos, uh, see the video, see the evidence. And on our slider on the top of our website on our homepage, we actually have instructions on how to notify us, how to capture uh, these emergencies. Uh, we um, put a report out last week uh, this uh, sidewalk counselor should really get a gold star on how to capture these emergencies. Took some really great video, great photographs uh, with timestamps and things of that nature. And so we were really able to, to capture that emergency well, even though in that situation as well, uh, we were unable to secure the 911 records. So it's really important to do a, a really good job of capturing um, the evidence of these emergencies in order that we can get that out, even though uh, the cities op, uh, often will um, withhold this information that is 
um, legally accessible to us through the Freedom of, of Information Act. Yeah, well, we can't ever counter the narrative that abortion is safe, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, it's not. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us again. Uh, we always appreciate hearing from you and the incredible work that Operation Rescue and your friends on the ground are doing. Good night, thank Anne. You. Thank you so much, both of you, and thank you for everything you're doing. It's really important as well. <laughs> thank you, Anne. Good night. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. A Christian pro-life doctor is speaking out against Canada's medical assistance in dying or MAID regime, calling it barbaric, unconstitutional, and inherently predatory toward the poor and suffering. We have with us again tonight Dr. Paul Saba, a family physician based in Montreal and author of the book Made to Live, A Physician's Journey to Save Life. Welcome, Dr. Saba. Thank you. Dr. Saba, um, thank you for joining us. And, and we'd like to discuss with you tonight whether assisted suicide is ever the right answer to escape suffering and harm. Could you tell us your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, assisted suicide or in Canada, we have both, uh, but most people um, have access to euthanasia, whereas the doctor will provide a lethal injection uh, to end somebody's life. Assisted suicide is where the physician will prescribe a medication uh, and, a, and a cocktail and people will take it at home. Uh, that's never the solution um, because we have alternatives. Alternatives uh, is, uh, for example, palliative care. Palliative care is where you provide all the supports, medications included, um, to prevent people from suffering and to alleviate. And you can, you can get rid of uh, most uh, it, what they call intolerable uh, pain and suffering through uh, proper quality palliative care. And all the studies have shown that. And people who do get quality palliative care, um, which is completely different from assisted suicide, the intention is not to end a person's life, but to help them provide comfort care right to the end, to their last breath. Well, we read on the website of the uh, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition that the numbers in Ontario are like skyrocketing this year over the same time last year. Any idea why there's so much more medical yeah, aid dying? Yeah, government's pr promoting it. For example, out in British Columbia, uh, they uh, run ads for as soon as you reach 65, uh, they start running ads and saying that this is uh, uh, an option for medical care. They actually call it medical care. Uh, so that, uh, and as you, right now in Canada, you don't have to have a terminal illness. You just have to have some type of medical condition or disability, and then you have uh, access to uh, euthanasia. Um, and in Ontario, they have teams that, that will even come to your home. Quebec, Quebec, where we have our, the highest of euthanasia in the world here in the province where I live. And um, they uh, ensure that you, within a very short time, uh, you have access where we have long waiting times for medical care people who need life-saving surgeries and cancer, uh, we have the, some of the longest in the Western world. So it almost is um, consistent. Whenever there's lack of medical care or the government wants to spend less on medical care, uh, they increase the access to euthanasia-assisted suicide. So what about in the United States? What, what's going on here? Well, presently, there are about 10 states where it's, um, it's legal, but uh, there's been uh, some good news uh, that there have, uh, there's been this past year, there, there's not been any new legislation to, to expand it. So it's still 20% of the states in, in, um, 
Oregon and Vermont, they've now made uh, tourism, uh, assisted suicide tourism available. That means you can be from out of state. Um, the government has an interest in this, um, as well as companies who do healthcare, provide healthcare insurance, because they save money. They save money because people will end their life instead of uh, continuing treatments to uh, prolong their life uh, or even to save their life. Uh, here in Canada, uh, where we have uh, um, a government-run healthcare program, uh, they've even published studies to say this is how much money is saved. They've even published it in Canadian, a Canadian medical journal, telling doctors that there's money savings. So you know, corollary is you know that there may be more money for doctors uh, in our salaries and whenever we're we're uh, involved in in trying to get paid be paid better. The the um, it, it goes against patient care. Here in Canada, it's expanded to the point where people who lack housing have uh, been euthanized. One woman. It was published in the newspaper, uh, well documented, uh, who had multiple chemical sensitivities and could not afford housing uh, because she was uh, on uh, well social welfare, and so they euthanized her. Um, and there are there are pages you you can go and go fund me a woman who recently, uh, who has uh, who's disabled, uh, applied in Ontario for um, disability uh, program because she has two disabled children uh, with learning problems. Uh, uh, she has actually three children. So they said, uh, we can give you euthanasia in, in 90 days, but she doesn't have a life-ending uh, illness, but this is disability. But you'll have to wait six to nine months to get um, the, be the disability benefits. So she's uh, uh, she's considering uh, euthanasia and they did a GoFunding page. So basically, uh, people who can't afford housing have to go go on go funding uh, or uh, face being euthanized. This is what's happened in Canada. Uh, March of 2024 uh, It's going to be available for anyone with any mental health condition uh, whatsoever if they find that they cannot tolerate uh, that condition and they don't even have to seek treatment. So in Canada, you don't even have to seek treatment. Uh, you can just opt for it. And um, the 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 medical system pays for it, and um, and uh, they have to uh, meet that person's uh, request. It's they consider it a medical treatment. It is not a medical treatment. It goes against all medical, uh, you know, our medical ethics. As as um, many people uh, may or may not be aware of, uh, the health modern medicine is based on the Good Samaritan model. Good Samaritan model is based on the biblical Judeo-Christian values, which is that you provide people uh, all the care they need uh, up to their last uh, breath. Uh, and that means providing them uh, a chance for life. And um, this is what I believe in, and this is what modern medicine's based on. Um, I graduated from McGill Medical School in Montreal, and uh, Sir William Osler, who founded John Hopkins Medical School, uh, he graduated from McGill, was a professor there, and he based uh, modern medical ethics on the Good Samaritan model, which is a biblical model, uh, providing all the care that people uh, need. Well, Dr. Saba, um, you're a medical doctor, and um, you mentioned palliative care earlier. Um, and I mean, how do you as a doctor share that information and offer palliative care as opposed to assisted suicide? Well, first of all, I, I wrote about it, and and I in my book Made to Live, uh, that uh, the proper care is 
is palliative care. Palliative care for somebody who, and you don't have to be uh, have a life-ending illness of palliative care. If you have chronic back pain, palliative care is you palliate, you you alleviate uh, discomfort. In fact, Canada's law was based on a a person who had chronic back pain who actually walked into a clinic in um, Switzerland, and uh, they, they 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 connected up the tube and and she died. And they said that's unfair. That person has to travel abroad with chronic back pain to have their life ended. Uh, we should be caring for people with chronic pains. Uh, there's a lack of chronic in Canada because there's a tremendous lack of chronic pain uh, clinics. I, 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 I spend a lot of time trying to find a place where people can get an infiltration in their back if they have pain, if the pain medication doesn't work. Uh, they don't, uh, many times people need physical therapy and could be alleviated, but it's not uh, covered except in the hospital system. So. Uh, people had uh, access to palliative to physical therapy, which is part of palliative care. Uh, uh, they would be alleviated of their suffering. And then for people who truly have a, a, a life-ending illness, a terminal illness like cancer, palliative care also uh, uh, allows people to uh, have that cancer. They can choose to be treated or not be treated. They can continue treatment. But during the time that they're having, if they're having nausea and and, and, and symptoms, uh, they could be treated. If they have financial problems, palliative care is supposed to ensure that people have adequate uh, funds to live on in housing. That's what true palliative care is. And it also provides spiritual uh, care. The problem in Canada, 70% of people don't have access to it. So the government introduced this legislation knowing full well that people will would, would choose uh, to have their life ended because they don't have any uh, relief of their symptoms because of lack of care. Uh, so it's very hypocritical. Uh, the term you can say barbaric because it is barbaric to force people into a position uh, where they need to uh, have their life ended to uh, to get the proper relief of their symptoms. Uh, in the hospital where I work at, we do have palliative care. We have good quality palliative care. Uh, but many and many times the people who do decide on assisted suicide or euthanasia, uh, it's because they feel like they're a burden. It has nothing to do with pain or suffering. Uh, they feel isolated. And uh, and I actually sit on a committee. Uh, even though I'm opposed to it, where I review these cases and I and I have made recommendations that we need to give better quality palliative care. We need to support people. So it's not just pain relief, but uh, most of them don't discover, describe pain or, or suffering. They describe being a burden, feeling isolated, losing some autonomy. We can help people with those issues. Well, Dr. Saba, the goal of the pro-life movement is to make abortion unthinkable. Do you think there's a way to make assisted suicide and euthanasia unthinkable? Well, I think we can make both unthinkable. I think you give people proper supports in the case of women uh, who want to have their babies, uh, you know, provide them financial supports, uh, give them uh, medical care, you know, and the same, uh, the government's uh, always looking at how to save money. They say, you know, you abort the baby, then you don't have to provide medical care, especially women's on, on medical assistance. Uh, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about housing and stuff. Give the people those supports, give them the educational support. And in the case of, and that should be companies and government, because uh, companies like Amazon and some of these larger companies are willing to pay for abortions, but they're not willing to give women decent salaries so they can live and support their families and uh, medical benefits. Uh, and in the case of assisted suicide, euthanasia, better medical care and supports for people who are uh, faced with disabilities, with conditions, uh, make their lives better and 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 more tolerable and and happier. Many times it has nothing to do with pain and suffering. Many times it's just because they're they're living in in social misery, and I think that that's where we all can help. Uh, in, you know, in terms of uh, work, 
working conditions, in terms of uh, supports, uh, the church can also help. I mean, there's not endless uh, means financially, but they can, you know, provide uh, social supports, meals for people, uh, and continue to work there and and to advocate for those people uh, who are in need. And that's where I think pro-life organizations uh, need to continue to do so. And having someone like myself speaking about it and and writing about it, um, uh, that helps. We agree, and, and uh, we thank you so much, Dr. Saba, for taking the time tonight to join us, and we hope you'll come back again. Well, thank you, and if anyone has a chance, they want to purchase the book, go to madetolive.com, all one word, and they can find it on many different places, uh, including Amazon, by the way, and Barnes & Noble. Great. Great. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Maine Governor Janet Mills signed a law Wednesday eliminating all protections for the unborn in her state. The new law allows unborn babies to be aborted through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason an abortionist deems necessary. Currently, abortions are prohibited after 24 weeks, but that prohibition is toppled by the new law, which will go into effect 90 days after the legislature gavels out in the coming weeks. The bloodstained hand of Planned Parenthood is all over this new law. When legislators tried to pass an amendment that would only allow for abortion after 24 weeks in cases of fatal fetal anomalies, lobbyists from the nation's largest abortion seller spent five hours convincing pro-abortion lawmakers to pass the bill without changes. According to the Bangor Daily News, pro-life advocates are considering a people's veto campaign to overturn the legislation. Maine has a constitutional provision that allows citizens to repeal legislation through a petition initiative and ballot referendum. Death by abortion took a holiday in Iowa last weekend after Governor Kim Reynolds signed a heartbeat law that protected babies from the brutal procedure once a heartbeat can be detected. But on Monday, a county judge temporarily blocked the law at the request of abortion sellers, meaning abortion is once again legal until 20 weeks in the state. The governor plans to appeal the temporary hold on the law. We passed it, it went into law, and for three days we were saving babies, the governor said this week. I think the right to life is the most important right that we have. In their own words, she continued, the abortion industry stressed the need for a temporary injunction so they could continue with 200 scheduled abortions in the next two weeks. While life was protected for a few days, now even more innocent babies will be lost. Missouri Representative Cori Bush said that a potential ban on the sale of the abortion drug mifepristone would be akin to, quote, placing a ban on Tylenol, except, of course, Tylenol was not designed to kill. Bush made her remarks at a hearing Monday convened by Democrats on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. Meanwhile, in upstate New York, a man has been arrested for giving the, the drug, the abortion drug, to an unwitting pregnant woman who then lost the baby. Police in Shattatuck arrested 39-year-old Daya Bashir after a 15-month investigation, charging him with second-degree assault. New York repealed its fetal homicide laws as part of a pro-abortion package in 2019, so criminals can no longer be charged for killing unborn babies. According to Life News, the arrest is the third since April involving allegations of an attempted forced abortion with abortion drugs. In Texas, police arrested a Laredo mother in April after she was accused of trying to force her pregnant daughter to take abortion pills. A few weeks later, Florida police arrested a 21-year-old woman who allegedly bought abortion pills in an attempt to force her ex-boyfriend's fiancé to abort her unborn baby. The United Church of Christ, a liberal mainstream Protestant denomination, has declared that abortion is health care and delegates at its General Synod earlier this month, month urged the church to help pay for abortion. The measure passed with 611 delegates voting in favor, 24 voting against, and 13 abstaining. 
Apparently, thou shalt not kill is not clear enough for leaders of the Cleveland-based church. The nation's pro-life attorneys general are fighting back against a Biden administration rule that prevents them from obtaining information on abortions performed in other states. On Sunday, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch issued a letter to Javier Bracera, Secretary of Health and Human Services, saying the rule unlawfully interferes with states' abilities to enforce their own laws. 18 other state attorneys signed on to the letter. In California, a gay couple who contracted with a surrogate to buy her baby insisted that the child be allowed to die after he was delivered at 25 weeks. The baby was delivered early to allow the surrogate mom to begin treatments for brain cancer, but the couple said they didn't want a child with potential health problems. Life-saving care was withheld and the baby died shortly after he was born. The mom had offered to adopt the child, but the couple were interested only in a death certificate. A Nebraska law protecting babies from abortion at 12 weeks will remain in effect after a county judge refused a request from abortion sellers, including Planned Parenthood, to block the law temporarily while she considers its legality. The law also bans gender mutilation surgery for minors. Several women urged a judge in Austin, Texas on Wednesday to block the state's near-total abortion ban, arguing that the law does not allow doctors to provide life-saving health care to pregnant mothers. Represented by the Pro-Abortion Center for Reproductive Rights, the women said they suffered pregnancy complications and were denied medical care after the pro-life law went into effect. But the Texas law includes clear exceptions that ensure pregnant mothers' lives are protected, and no women have died as a result of any state's pro-life laws, some of which have been in effect for nearly two years. It's now legal in Oregon for minor girls of any age to have an abortion without their parents' consent or notification. Democrat Governor Tina Kotek signed the latest abortion-expanding law in the state last week. And finally, with Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville standing firm by his vow to block military promotions until the Defense Department rescinds its illegal abortion policy, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has offered to have the Senate vote on the issue. The vote could come as an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act or as a standalone vote, but in either case, Democrats are hoping Tuberville will lose and then drop his opposition to the policy that allows for time off and travel expenses for military members and dependents who have to travel out of state for abortion. And that's abortion in the news. Former President Donald Trump says he has received word that he's a target of the grand jury probe into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Trump says he learned Sunday that he may be charged with a federal crime by a grand jury investigating the events at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. The former president says the target letter means he is likely to be indicted. A spokesman for special counsel Jack Smith has declined comment on Trump's remarks. But Smith and his team have reached into Trump's inner circle, calling former Vice President Mike Pence and Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner to testify before grand juries in Washington, D.C. Trump already faces federal charges over allegedly obstructing a separate probe into classified documents at his Florida resort. Trump is seeking unprecedented delays as he faces prosecution for mishandling classified documents, arguing his status as a candidate and other factors require punting the case indefinitely. The strategy, if successful, would postpone Trump's trial into a window that could be more favorable for him. If Trump were reelected, his administration's Justice Department could withdraw the charges or another newly elected Republican president could pardon him. But the federal judge overseeing the case appeared skeptical about the former president's request that it be delayed until the 2024 election. U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon 
also appeared wary of prosecutors' requests to begin the proceedings as soon as this year. During a hearing in federal court, Cannon did not set a new date for the trial, saying she would consider both sides' arguments and make a decision on the timing promptly. Meanwhile, Republican competitors may be starting to chip away at Trump's lead, as evidenced by a new poll of likely Republican voters in New Hampshire. Trump's advantage over rival Florida Governor Ron DeSantis slipped to just 14 percentage points, according to the University of New Hampshire Survey Center poll. However, former President Trump gloated over his big win in another poll, this one conducted by Turning Point USA. Just heard that we won the big Turning Point straw poll in a blowout, getting 85.7% of the vote, Trump posted on Truth Social. Attorney General Dana Nessel is leveling felony charges against 16 Republicans who signed a certificate stating that Trump won Michigan's 2020 presidential election, launching criminal cases against top political figures inside the state GOP. Each of the 16 electors, including former Michigan Republican Party co-chairwoman Michonne Maddock and Shelby Township Clerk Stan Grott, have been charged with eight felony counts, including forgery and conspiracy to commit election law forgery, according to Nessel's office. The revelation capped a six-month investigation and produced the most serious allegations yet in Michigan over the campaign to overturn Trump's loss to Democrat Joe Biden in 2020. Biden won the state by 154,000 votes, or three percentage points, but Trump and his supporters maintained that fraud swung the result. DeSantis became the first 2024 contender to enter the South Carolina primary Tuesday, and he took the unusual step of defending rival and frontrunner Trump during a campaign stop in the Pal Palmetto State. I hope he doesn't get charged, DeSantis told CNN's Jake Tapper. I don't think it will be good for the country. Later, flanked by supporters, including state legislators who have endorsed his bid, DeSantis signed his filing documents during a stop at the South Carolina Republican Party headquarters in Columbia, making him the first major party presidential candidate officially on the ballot for the first in the South contest. And that's political news in a nutshell. Many young women find themselves with the unexpected blessing of being pregnant, and many of them will wonder if having kids will ruin their lives or make them infinitely better. If you listen to liberal media, you will surely hear that having a child will prevent you from finishing school, getting a good job, having fun, and a host of other lies. As parents and grandparents, Leslie and I can assure you that while raising children can be exhausting on some days, the joy experienced is truly priceless. Jana Morena, executive director of Priests for Life, was at the Night Vision Festival in Colorado recently, and she spoke to a woman named Julia about what it was like to become a mom at the age of 14. Spoiler alert, she's not sorry she said yes to life. Here's her story. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm here with another pro-life story here at Night Vision, and here's Julia to tell you her story. Hi, I was 14 back in 1984, gave birth to my daughter in 85. I was kind of put around uh, to get to other schools and even encouraged to have an abortion at six months old because I was unwed, come from a divorced family, Hispanic, soon to be single mom, a cheerleader. And um, I was very stubborn then. My family, I had great support. And um, here I am 38 years later, uh, seven grandchildren and I am so glad that I just said no said no and when I felt her kick 
as they were doing the ultrasound, that was confirmation that that was life. So you can do it, support, but you always have God in your life. Thank you and may God bless you and your daughter. Okay, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on Twitter at ProLife News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.